listening to First Church Charlotte. Welcome all of you to our Wednesday Night Connect. <clears throat> I want to very quickly explain my goal with these Wednesday Night Connects, and it'll help you understand the nature of the Bible study type that we do. So my goal is for us to think biblically about things that everyone else is thinking carnally about. Um, that's the goal. And you'll hear me repeat it. All our, our society is continually turning from one subject to another. There is a national conversation. There's a national a political a civil entertainment business conversation going on. And the result of that is a lot of people are talking about things. And rather than trying to make people interested in the subjects that each of us as Christians or Bible students might be interested in, what we can do is rather than trying to drag them to the Bible, we can bring the Bible to them. So again, my goal is to talk about the things that everyone is talking about already. But I want to talk about them biblically. And so the result of that is you will see me reference a lot of news, a lot of current affairs, and even a lot of uh, current cultural uh, issues. Feel free to uh, type questions as I go. I may or may not get to all of them, but um, this is the goal of a back and forth uh, <clears throat> dialogue. Um, my title, since everyone is talking about it, is a fun one, and it's simply this. To slap a fool, that is my title. To slap or not to slap, that is the question that Shakespeare would ask, or shall we say Hamlet would ask of, of all of us. <laughs> what, do we, what do we do when the conversation of the whole nation is talking about something that happened this past, I think, Sunday night uh, during the Oscars, um, which was when the actor, uh, artist, Will Smith walked up on the stage and slapped the comedian, Chris Rock, who was hosting the Oscars. Now, at the outset here, um, I want to say I do not watch the Oscars. Some of you may. I, I, I'm not that culturally um, hip, uh, but it is the biggest uh, event in, shall we say, like entertainment type uh, circles. And uh, everybody is talking about the slap. Um, I want to start by giving you my, uh, uh, I call them priors, but my biases, let me call them that way. Uh, my bias is this, and I want to start because I don't want anyone to feel like my goal is primarily to have an opinion about world affairs, although I do, or to have an opinion about things in our society so much as it is uh, to think about them biblically. So in, in desire to be fair and open, I'll say at the beginning what I feel like my biases are. Um, not to take sides, you're welcome to have a different view. We don't have to fight over it. Indeed, please, let's not be so immature that we feel like the, we have to fight about it. But I just want to be, I don't want you to feel manipulated by me. So my biases are this, there was a part of me that enjoyed it. And that was my first reaction, just it was shocking. It was entertaining. I didn't know if it was a prop. And this is not me watching it live. This is me getting, I was uh, on uh, Twitter uh, and I saw Twitter and then I followed the link and I saw the slap. I just, was it staged? What had happened? Um, and so full disclosure, my first reaction was to think 
that's what the world needs to slap a fool. <laughs> um, but I that only lasted a very short amount of time. And as I reflected upon it, I then, uh, I, there was a part of me that hated it. Um, so there's a part of me that liked it. Uh, uh, why? Because like you, I often am sick to my bones of people commenting on, commenting on things they neither have insight into, jurisdiction over, or business involved with. And maybe that in some way, uh, I don't know, was entertaining. Um, that lasted a very short. And then I went to the part of me that hated it, which was... Um, the obvious things like, you know, if I do that, I go to jail. Uh, why, why does rich celebrities get away with what would send me to jail? Uh, that was part of it. The second part of it was, you know, it's sad that no one's talking about the story, the Williams sister story. They're all talking about Chris Rock, you know, making it about him. I, I was sad for the Williams sisters because that's what he won the award for evidently. Um, and of course, finally, just the sense of two different sets of rules in our society. So that is my biases. And um, uh, now let's set aside our individual biases. Some of you are like, yes, slap him again. And some of you are like, uh, no, that's, 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 you know, Chris Rock is paid to do that. To, he's, they, they need someone to break the crowd, to entertain, to roast people. He's doing his job. You, you don't, you know, so I get both sides, but our goal is not to have opinions, although we all do. Our goal is to think biblically about the things everyone else is thinking about. Because this is what I know, you will have opportunities in your coming days where this subject is being talked about. And if you've organized yourself biblically, not only will you have endeavored to build upon firm foundations, which I think matters, um, not only that, but you will have also uh, begun the process of being of, of having something to say as a sincere, uh, legitimate Bible student. So I'm going to uh, share my screen now. Uh, with the goal of uh, uh, letting you have something uh, to to follow along with, and hopefully you will see this pop up in your uh, our title slide to pop up in your feed, and we will we will get started. Um, I uh, this yesterday when I was thinking about this and you know reflecting upon how do we think biblically about this subject. I immediately came to three themes where the Bible has a lot to say about related things, but of course, nothing to say about something that happens uh, directly, but a lot of indirect things to say. And there's basically three themes that I found that there is a lot of scripture a lot of scripture on, and I'll give you those themes. First of all, uh, there is the issue of um, insult. Does the Bible have anything to say about how we bear insult? Yes, the Bible has a lot to say. Secondly, um, does the Bible have anything to say about pride and or, you know, honor or feeling like someone disrespected uh, you. Um, does the Bible have anything to say about that? Uh, yes, it does. And then finally, does the Bible have anything to say about when we should defend ourselves and when we should not defend ourselves? And yes, in all three of these cases, the Bible has a lot to say 
about these three themes. So to repeat myself, we want to think biblically about the things other people are thinking carnally about. Okay, there's three themes in the story. How do we bear insult? How should we think about the risks of pride and honoring ourselves? And number three, when should we defend ourselves or defend defend others? So I think those are very good, very good subjects for us to look into. So let's get started. First of all, um, I want to t- think about um, I want to think about this issue of insult. I'm going to read James chapter number one, verse number 26. And it goes like this. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So we answer the first question. Does the Bible have anything to say about this issue of insult. Now, as far as a comedian hosts an event, that's a different thing. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about dealing with the reality of insult, where you feel like someone has been unfair to you. They have spoken unkindly to you. They have uh, gotten involved in something that they have neither jurisdiction over. They have no business with, um, but they are very much in. Um, I want you to say yes. Yes, yes, and yes, the Bible is very clear about this issue of insult. We must, dearly beloved, my brothers and sisters, I love you. I'll give you a great big COVID kiss on Sunday, but we've got to face the facts, and it goes like this. We're going to be insulted, and if we're not in control of our spirit, we will lose the most powerful testimony which that we have, which is this. The love of God has changed my heart. Now, nothing will test your Christianity faster than insult. And I would ask for an amen, but all of you are on mute. So I'll just say amen, 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 amen. Nothing will trust, (laughs) check your, how shall we say, your Christianity like insult. And so the result of this is, of course, The Bible has something to say about it, and we must remind ourselves, if we think we're religious, but we don't control our tongue, it doesn't matter how much we run and shout. Uh, It doesn't matter how much we posture for saved people. (laughs) It doesn't matter how much we, you know, break it down on Sunday. Uh, All that's good. Um, But one of the real tests of whether or not you are in control of your spirit is your ability to either not insult or not to respond to insult. And James thinks this is so essential that he says, uh, if you can't do that, then your religion is worthless. That's a strong word. Go read it in other translations. They're all strong like that. None of them are. There's, this isn't a mistranslation. That's my point on the point on that. So the second scripture I want to share with you is this. This is Proverbs 12 and 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. That's a great scripture, and I love it in the ESV, because there is there's a style of being, there is a manner of living where the things we say are like uh, the thrusts of a sword. Uh, we put people at risk who should not have been put at risk, do you see? Uh, we hurt people that should not have, should not have been hurt, um, all because our tongue is not under control. James, um, as a pastor of the church in Jerusalem, here's the interesting thing. More than any other church 
in the New Testament, James is dealing with people who are religiously vain. What do I mean by that? There's Pharisees in the church. There's scholars in the church. There's people who spent their whole life studying the law in the church. They don't have that problem in Corinth. They don't have that problem in Athens. They don't have that problem in Rome. They have that problem where? In Jerusalem. Where's James the pastor? In Jerusalem, do you see? And James talks so much about the tongue and the damage of the tongue is because he has so many people in his church that are basically their favorite sin is religious vanity. The favorite sin of Christians is vanity. I say that to me first, and then I say it to all others. We must learn on a regular basis how to humble humble ourselves. And I'll say it even more personal. I have to learn on a continuing basis to humble myself and ask myself if there is truth in criticism. That doesn't mean I have to roll over. I just have to I have to prayerfully reflect upon it. Um, in the same manner, I have to be careful with how I speak and the manner in which I speak. James says this to the religious vain, vanity crowd in Jerusalem. He says, not many of you should be teachers. And the reason why is you can't control your tongue. It is like a fire. It's like hell's fire, James says. This isn't in your notes, but alas, it's there. Um, your tongue is like hellfire and it will burn your world down. That's why not many of you should be teachers. Now, have you noticed the other churches don't have this problem, but in Jerusalem, they tend to have this problem. So controlling our tongue is directly related to whether or not we're in control of our spirit. The ability or the inability to control our tongue is directly related to whether or not we are in control of our spirit. Now, the final thing I want to talk to you on this theme of insult um, is um, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter number five, where Jesus says something very unique. And he says this, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn and give him the other also. Now, this is easily missed and you probably haven't heard it taught or preached much, but there's a detail here that uh, is unique. Why do you think that Jesus said the right cheek? He didn't just say if someone hits you. He said the right cheek. Um, the reason why is because, um, so that would be this reality. In a world where the vast majority of people are right-handed, if they strike you on the right cheek, they have backhanded you, which in Jewish culture is a strike of insult, not a strike of assault. In other words, they're not making a fist and punching you. They're backhanding you, which in Jewish culture is a strike of insult, not a physical assault. And so it's easy for us to think of this passage in terms, because oftentimes we're guilty of rushing through the scripture. Um, think of this in terms of, oh, if someone attacks me, I'm not gonna defend myself. N that's not what he's saying. He said on the right cheek, which in his culture means this is a strike of insult, not a strike of assault. And so he says, when you are insulted in that way, so to speak, that's how the native would have read it or heard it in that moment. If the scholars and commentators are correct, when you are given a strike of insult, turn the other cheek. Now, that's that's fascinating because all of us are going to be insulted. Right. And um, all of us are going to need to keep our spirit in check. Uh, let me speak to those of you who are leaders. Um, you you have to control um, your response when people say things about you. Um, the wise man said you should not listen too closely to what 
your 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 servant says about you because uh, you'll hear him curse you. <laughs> um, so the point I want to make here is um, all of us all of us are challenged uh, in terms of insult. So it works best like this: in a leadership situation, you are best defended by other people who believe in you. Um, you are not best defended by yourself. In a leadership situation, you are best defended by people who believe in you. Um, I am best defended by the people who believe in me. I can fight for myself or I can trust that there is people that believe in me and they can fight for me better than I can fight for me in a like manner. When my staff is attacked, I can fight for them better than they can fight for themselves. Um, and so it is in all areas of leadership, but let's move along. The second theme in this story that we can take seriously biblically um, is the issue of pride. Um, pride is incredibly deceitful. I put a quote up on your screen. This is adapted from a message by Charles Spurgeon uh, back in the 19th century. And the title of the message, you can actually find it online and read it yourself, is self-deceived, but it's about pride. And he said this, human pride is incredibly deceitful. It can so deceive its hosts that he or she may well believe they are truly humble. It is true of all proud people, for pride is self-deceit. Some reading this may be proud of none of us. Obviously, he's referring to random strangers. <clears throat> In fact, it is those who believe they have no pride who are most likely to be the proudest of all. Those who are proud of their humility are <laughs> proud indeed. He goes on. Let me give you the next passage here of this. Those who are self-deceived believe themselves to be of one character, while most people see them as totally opposite. These people believe their position or stance or security is firm. <clears throat> However, they cannot see the truth that they are in peril for holding to their position or stance or believing they are secure because their pride has blinded them. That's the key thing to understand about pride. Pride blinds. Pride blinds. If you get into tension, you have to write it a hundred times. Pride blinds. It makes me think I'm better than I am. They have latched on to certain leaders who they believe to be wise, but these leaders have no wisdom. They have confidence in things and people who are like water in their hands. They, plus, they place their trust in people rather than God. Only God does not fail. And anyone claiming to have the truth that is contrary to the word of God is a deceiver. Uh, that is all paraphrased from that <clears throat> message I was referring to <clears throat> preached a couple hundred years ago. So let's talk about um, let's talk about uh, the the whole issue of pride and its 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 risk uh, in in our life. Um, there is so many scriptures on pride that I I literally I, I could have just picked two at random, but I I, I didn't think I needed to uh, hammer that down. Uh, pride is how Lucifer became the devil. <laughs> pride is the original sin. Pride is how. Eve was tempted in the garden. It is to be taken quite seriously. And pride is the most common sin of the saved. Uh, it is how the church of the hospital becomes the church of the health club. Pride is how people who were called to mission turn to reassurance. Pride is how mission is replaced by culture. Pride is how people <clears throat> who once felt a calling 
and duty upon their life, turn to nestling in comfortable places and calling it the one true way. Pride is the enemy of all of us, this preacher included. And pride is what keeps me uh, from having uh, the testimony that God says I should have I should have. And so I say to all of you, myself included, humbling the self is the daily work of the cross. The image of the cross is how you die in the self to live in your missional calling. Christ is not suffering for nothing. He's suffering for mission and purpose. He's not dying for nothing. He's dying the just for the unjust. He has given his self, his comfort. If there's any other way, let it pass away. But if not, I I will drink the cup. He is choosing his calling, his missional purpose over the comfort of his way. Um, This is always a challenge for the believer, and we have to take pride and its dangers very seriously. The most dangerous person in the church is a person who is talented and arrogant. They are spiritual and arrogant. They have gifts and pride. They are most dangerous people because they are always needing someone to buy into their justification. Pride demands it. And so prideful people seek simple people and then lead them astray, the blind leading the blind. Two different kinds of blindness. One is the blind of vanity, the other, blindness of vanity. The other is the blindness of simplicity. Uh, you guys have heard me say this. I'll say it again. Every church trouble I have ever seen is a combination of arrogance and immaturity. Some people are arrogant. They know better than the leaders. They know better than the Sunday school teacher. They know better than the uh, pastor. They know better. They are always elevating themselves and criticizing, but they have a problem. Not many people are following them. They have limited influence and that makes them angry. They resent their limited influence. And so like the Pharisee, they go to the people who are following something, somebody. That's the crowd looking to Jesus. And they go and they attack Jesus because they're jealous of the crowd. So that's enough of that. Pride is the enemy. Uh, We cannot trust our pride. That is not mean. I don't just apply that to other preachers and it doesn't apply to me. It applies to me just as much as anyone else. We cannot trust our pride. And so uh, that second issue in the story of uh, what's so popular on the news right now is this, I think pride is involved. Um, I'll tell you one of the reasons why I think that. Um, You know, um, the the comedian, uh, uh, excuse me, the, the, the actor Will Smith, if you look at all the songs he's written, if you look at all the movies he's done, they haven't been without error. <laughs> There's been plenty of things said that could be taken offensive, but all in that moment, he decided he was the force of justice. Now, that's fine for him. I would love to have the story that someone said something to my wife and I slapped the fool out of him. But I want you to know there will be pride in it. There will be pride in it. So the third theme in the scripture that I want to show you from this story, and then we're just going to open it up for questions, um, is the issue of when do we defend ourselves and when do we defend others? Um, And so uh, there is examples in the Bible of people um, defending uh, themselves 
uh, and making a defense of themselves. In fact, Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter number 12 that they would have to defend themselves against accusations. And he told them that when they did so, not to be afraid because the Holy Spirit would give them words to say. This is Luke chapter number 12, verse number 11 and 12, if you want to read it. Or later on this evening, you can download these notes and have the record for for yourself. The Apostle Paul, in at least two places in the book of Acts, has to give a defense of himself. Uh, Acts chapter number 22 and also Acts chapter number 24. Um, And so there is precedent for a person having to defend themselves. There is precedent for for this. But I want to give what I think is some principles that are shown in the scripture whereby we can think biblically about subjects everybody else is just thinking about. And that would be this. Um, The first issue on defending yourself is this. Don't force your defense. Um, uh, The advice I would give myself on that is this. you have to trust that you are not serving God in your own power. And you have to trust that God knows the battles you're going to fight. And God has placed you with other believers who value your input. He intentionally put you in a body that is taught biblically to appreciate each other. He placed you in a body of Christ where no one is expected. uh, It's not a body where everyone's expected to be an elbow. There's different gifts, different talents. The body of Christ you are in is supposed to appreciate the uniqueness of you, which is not a justification of sin, um, but it is a sense of appreciating uh, the uniqueness of you Uh, you yourself. Um, And so you have to believe that God's got you. (laughs) You have to believe that, um, yeah, terrible things were said, um, but I don't have to rush to my defense as though I'm all alone and I have nothing holding me up because I want to live and walk as this truth, as though this truth is in my heart, underneath are the everlasting arms. In fact, I'll take this further. Jesus intentionally told his disciples not to be fearful, not to be afraid even of people who would threaten his, their physical health, but to trust him. And so when we are in a situation where we feel like we need to defend ourselves or defend others, it's usually an error to rush it because there's a high probability it will be about temper and not about justice. We are all of us beings of both spirit and flesh. I wish I could say I was all spirit, but alas, I'm a little bit of flesh. Not a lot, just a little bit of flesh. (laughs) Um, I don't need to force it. I need to understand that the Lord's renewing me. He's perfecting me. My flesh has no scruples on losing temper. My flesh has no scruples on um, lashing out. Um, But I... I don't think that is. I don't think that is um, the the answer. Um, and so I want to. I want to having mentioned this principle of don't force your defense. Um, I I want to say along with that, don't trust your tongue to get it right if you don't get your spirit in control first. Your tongue is really not the problem. Your spirit is the problem. And if you get your spirit under control, your tongue will suddenly become quite well 
behaved. Um, we I mentioned earlier in Luke 12 where the disciples are taught they when they defend the Holy Spirit will tell them what to say. Um, I think that is helpful because you don't you don't have a situation where they're keeping notes and making sure everything right. They're trusting God. Our defending ourselves and defending others is built upon trusting God. So if we're not going to be quick to fight back, what should the Christian do? This is an important question. If I'm not going to be quick to fight my own battles, if I'm not going to be quick to insult them back, um, what should the Christian do? So here, here's something that's helpful. Um, I, I call it the... Uh, the, the don't fight principle. Uh, in the New Testament, we're taught not to fight, but we are taught to withdraw. Does that make sense? Don't fight, but withdraw. Romans 16, verse number 17, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. He's not saying fight. He's saying withdraw. Avoid. This is this is very very uh, helpful uh, because this is the exact same advice that Jesus gives his disciples after the lawyers and the Pharisees have come to um, cause trouble. And the disciples ask directly, specifically, how do we deal with these Pharisees and their questions? And Jesus says very clearly, he does not stutter, ignore them. And then he says famously, the blind lead the blind and they both fall in the ditch. So for the New Testament believer, our goal is not to fight over everything. Just withdraw. So I find, so let me be, let me be real here for a moment. Every church in the world has people who by their character, by their personality, um, they tend toward a particular temptation of causing division. Some of them are quick to fight. Some of them are quick to bear a tail. Some of them are quick to get involved in other people's business. Some people love nothing more than to call you up and pretend to be praying about something. And you know what's really happening? Oh, I heard. I heard this. I heard that. Every church in America has people in it who by their personality, by their past, by their nature, they tend to the temptation of causing divisions. That includes First Church. We have people in our church who they don't even know they're doing it. It's so easy for them. They don't even know they're doing it. They feel that they, they've deceived themselves, that they really, really care. And they're getting all up in everybody's business. Um, to those folks, I say, um, we, you know, grace isn't just for the sinner. <laughs> grace is for the saint too. And we have to love imperfect people. But you who are strong in the Lord, you should be comfortable saying, I'm not going to fight, but I am going to withdraw. And the way you can do that is say simply, look, this isn't helping anybody. I, th th what you're doing right now, I know you think you're helping, but this is not how you help. That is a great way to do what Paul is talking, where we're not fighting, but we are withdrawing, we are avoiding, we are um, dealing with these issues. Titus chapter number three, verse number 10. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Now, this is not the only scripture on the subject. So we don't want to take this and build here three tabernacles, but we understand these kind of scriptures have a range. And so there is there. Yes, we forgive. We don't hold grudges. Um, but 
uh, come on. Um, it's rather than fight to defend yourself and fighting to defend uh, other people, it's easier to defend others than yourself because it's not self-interest. Um, and I, I think there's more uh, defense of that biblically than it is just trying to always defend yourself. But that said, the goal is not to fight. The goal is to avoid of maybe gently rebuke uh, and maybe withdraw. Uh, but these things are all works of the flesh. This tailbearing, stirring up strife, causing offense, getting involved in people's business. You don't need to comment on how other people raise their kids. You just don't. They're not your kids. Um, your kids aren't perfect. You don't need to comment on it. If there's something that is like of a, uh, of a serious nature um, and there need to be some sort of church authority involved, then sure, we, we would very carefully and gently look into uh, what would be appropriate. But we don't need to be involved in other people's raising their kids, number one. Uh, number two, we don't, be, we don't need to be involved in other people's uh, marriages. Um, you don't need to be. Now, if it's your girlfriend and she's venting about something, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to let y'all worry about that. But as a general rule, you don't need to be involved. You need to speak carefully and cautiously. Um, uh, thirdly, you don't need to keep track of other people's sins. All of these things causes offense. All of these things causes, um, you know, I hear about sins in the church too. I do. And if you want a pastor who's a policeman and goes and chases down those sins, then I'm going to be a great disappointment to you. I might as well go ahead and tell you. Um, you know what I do when I hear things, but I don't have evidence? Now, if I have evidence and it's a leadership role, that's different because then I have an obligation of justice. And I think any serious student of the Bible can see that without much effort. But with that exception, you know what I pray? If I hear rumors, and I do on a regular basis, <laughs> I hear rumors, this and that. You know what I pray? Lord, when you're ready and they're ready, bring it to light that they can grow in their faith and grow in their uh, their their own Christianity. I don't chase it down. I don't hide outside their house. There's pastors who do that. If that's what you're looking for, you should go find that church. God bless you. You y'all deserve each other. You should do that. We don't do it here. I pray, God, when you're ready, it's just a rumor. I don't have evidence. When you're ready, would you bring it to light? And and almost always, uh, the Lord the Lord does that. So when we get involved in these things, um, it's it's a work of the flesh. Look at Galatians chapter number five, verse number 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Now he's gonna make a list of things that are obviously works of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Come on, these are big things. Um, and now he's got also drunkenness, orgies, things like these. I mean, these are big things. Everybody can agree on this. These are outsider sins. But that's not all that's in the list. Now, here comes insider sins. Are you ready for this? Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. Those aren't outsider sins. Now, I'm not saying they're not in the world. I'm talking about as applied to a local church. Those are insider sins. And Paul puts them in the same list as all of those, uh, you know, ugly sin, shall we say. Um, so we have to, we have to be uh, aware of, there's a lot of things we don't, it, to get involved with is just going to cause offense. And so these three themes that we've talked about here um, in, this, in this, this time together are these themes of insult, pride, the, deceit, the, deceit, the deceitfulness of pride, and number three, when do we defend ourselves or when do we defend others? Um, as a general rule, uh, we have to uh, we have to um, 
in some way be careful not um, to deceive ourselves about these issues. All right. So that's enough. I've I've gone on and on. Y'all forgive me for that. But um, I had subjects. So I'm going to review real quick the um, um, the. uh, the, the, the chat here. Um, all right. We have one here. Uh, most modern day. Well, let me, let me, first of all, um, I don't know. I don't know if I should turn off the, uh, sound, uh, muting the room or not. Um, let me do that really quickly and then we will, um, we will, uh, proceed with the questions. Um, host controls, uh, turn off their microphones. Okay, so now that is done. So if anyway, if you uh, speak up, you can unmute your microphone. Back to the questions. Uh, many modern day folks are not skilled in recognizing when harmful pride is entering into their actions and lives. How then do we tune in or recognize when this fault is upon us? And what are some of the ways we can avoid harmful pride and or remedy this problem? Um, <laughs> oh, okay. I see your comment there, Don. Um, yeah. So um, I think the biggest issue in this uh, arena is um, the issue of uh, when in doubt, assume pride is influencing you <laughs> uh, rather than assuming that it isn't assume it is. Um, and uh, that's a, that, that's how I and I would answer that. I, I'm going to assume that more often than not, pride, pride is a is a problem. Um, and so, uh, any any other questions or, or regarding this issue of pride? Um, I thank you for your time. Um, I'm 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 honored to uh, to spend some time with you. Um, this is one of those subjects that is uh, you have to come back to again and again. It's kind of like one of the foundational things of being a Christian is keeping the self where it needs to be, which is on the cross. So, all right, I guess that's enough. Um, I appreciate you all. I thank you all. Uh, have a great evening. And again, I welcome your feedback. Anything that you want to, uh, you think we can do better on, um, feel free to send me um, information, uh, send me feedback, and we will make that adjustment. In the meantime, let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you for your goodness in our life. We are all of us so tremendously blessed. Um, It's overwhelming the goodness of God in our life. And we are praying that we would learn from the scripture, not just take upon, you know, whatever subjects of the day we hear about or think about and, you know, be influenced by the news or the talk show host or the podcast or the newspaper. Lord, let us think biblically. Let us organize ourselves in response to things so that when the subject does come up, we have something profoundly biblical to say and apply to our life and to introduce into conversations with others uh, that we can open the door for spiritual conversations in our world. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Have a great week. We will see you Sunday. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast 
and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.